Good evening. This is To Be Discussed with Cup and Gur, a show that proves that different political opinions do not have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendships. My name is George Cup, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gur. Good evening, everybody. That's right. George is a hardline Brexiteer and true blue conservative, whereas I'm a Lib Dem and Ramona. But despite these different standpoints, we are still good friends. Tonight we'll be asking, should internet access be considered a human right? What is the most likely general election outcome? And finally, do you exercise weekly? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open till the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked you to send in your opinions on the following question. What is the best government you've seen in your lifetime? So, uh, as always, you guys have been sending in lots of messages, but our first message comes in from Courtney. And she says, the only governments I remember are David Cameron, who became Prime Minister when I was six years old, and Theresa May most recently. I've been doing some research, though, and I think that people underestimate how good David Cameron was for this country. I'm not a big fan of the Conservatives, but when David Cameron became PM, this country was in deep recession and he had to make some really difficult decisions to get us out of that recession. Okay, he may have nearly caused the breakup of the UK in the meantime, and you know, called for the Brexit referendum. But before all of that, he was a strong leader and was who we needed when he came into office. Well, Callum, your uh, Lib Dems agreed with that, didn't they? (laughs) Um, well, um, not, not completely, but I suppose, <laughs> I suppose out of the the two options they were, they were faced with, I suppose in, in a sense they did. Um, but no, I mean, I think it's a, it's a really interesting opinion in there from Courtney, um, and s- somewhat, um, surprising in a way to really to kick off with, mm. with David Cameron being seen as the the kind of best government seen in people's lifetimes, although I suppose there isn't really loads to choose from for for a lot of people. Um, I I guess one just small thing I did pick up on was that um, Courtney says about the fact that David Cameron became prime minister when the country was in a deep recession, when actually uh, I I checked this and (laughs) technically the, the UK wasn't actually in recession when David Cameron became prime minister. It had just come out of recession in January 2010. Um, so, so, but other, other than that, I, can't, I mean, I completely understand the point that, that Courtney is is trying to make, um, which is that yes, it, it was a very difficult time financially for this country, uh, and you could argue that David Cameron came in and made those kind of difficult decisions. He showed that strong leadership um, that is required when really our backs were against the wall. Um, I, I would say that um, one of the things that Courtney does mention about David Cameron nearly causing the breakup of the UK it, it, in the meantime it is something that maybe does very much lessen the case for to, uh, for David Cameron sorry, <laughs> uh, to, to be the kind of best government seen in our lifetime. But then I, I do instantly think, I, I don't think I could really argue that uh, Tony Blair's government or uh, Gordon Brown's government was the best government seen in my lifetime simply because I don't know when you're below a voting age whether or not it really counts especially when I was so far away from a voting age 
uh, when when Tony Blair was around. So I suppose on that basis, in a way, I'd probably have to agree. Uh, but mainly mainly because the Lib Dems were in it too. Uh, <laughs> what do you think, George? Well, I mean, it is always lovely to open up with uh, compliments going towards um, a Conservative Prime Minister, of course. Uh, and and, <laughs> and we're going to get a few of them, George. Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's just why I like this topic. Uh, I, I think David Cameron was definitely a, uh, a good Prime Minister. I don't necessarily agree with the way he um, left... Uh, a ship that needed a captain at the helm, but there we go. Um, But he was someone that has always um, been quite important to me in terms of political figures, because I feel as if he was a true one nation conservative, a a true centralist um, with a conservative with a small C. Um, And I would like to think that if I was ever in a position that he was in, I would try and be like David Cameron of his policies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on to the next opinion, it's from Elise. Elise says, I only became engaged in politics when Theresa May became prime minister, so I don't have much to choose from. <laughs> the best thing I could say about Theresa May is that she really tried. I don't mean that sarcastically. I know how <laughs> that sounds. Uh, Theresa May was in an impossible position. The UK needed a prime minister for Brexit. Nobody wanted to do it. And she basically had to make up the rules as she went along because we hadn't been in this position before. Ultimately, she failed at her job. But, you know, it's the effort that counts. I mean, George, do you think that? Do you think she should get a participation trophy at least? <laughs> well, I mean, if anyone deserves one, she does. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think Theresa May, I mean, Lise does make an incredible point. And, and as a... Um, loyal listeners of this this radio show know that i at the beginning of theresa may's premiership was a bit unsure on her i wasn't particularly the best most complimentary about her but as time went on i truly supported her and i and i absolutely loved the the prime minister that she turned out to be um and i really really felt sorry for her when she had to stand down and i i think in a different time if brexit wasn't around theresa may would have been one of the most brilliant leaders that we this country would have seen um so i i do absolutely echo completely what elise is saying that i i think theresa may was a had such a hard job um she had a poison chalice that she had to deal with but i think she did the best that she could just unfortunately she had to step down um and we are where we are today facing another general election but we'll get onto that later uh callum what are your thoughts on elise's opinion yeah, no, I completely agree that Theresa May did absolutely try her hardest. And I don't think um, for a lot of people, I don't think there's much kind of ill will towards Theresa May, which is quite surprising given how kind of polarised politics has become nowadays. And I think she did have a really, really hard job and she always handled it with um, integrity, really. Mm. Uh, and, and I suppose one, because obviously whatever way you look at it really i don't think many people look that favorably upon Theresa may's time as prime minister yeah one thing though i would say as well in, in support of Theresa may is that she did handle the salisbury attacks with a, a lot of class and dignity uh, i would say and it's because of how uh kind of sensational politics is now at the moment and it was during her premiership that was kind of overlooked but for any other prime minister that would have been really a crowning moment how she handled that yeah absolutely and i think also i just quickly to say about theresa may is that she handled 
a battled against a lot of sexism um, from yeah. all sides of the house and in the European Union, um, and I think she did an incredible job in battling that. Um, our next opinion comes in from Dylan, and they say, "My first memory of politics was the election in 2010 when David Cameron became Prime Minister, and I remember the scenes on TV of him driving to Buckingham Palace to meet the Queen. That was a scary time for this country. Both my parents lost their jobs in the recession, and now it was a conservative government. I don't." don't agree with austerity at all because look at what it's done to this country but at least he got us back on our feet at the end of the day well Callum it's a bit of a contradictory statement at the end there what do you think <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean it's surprising for someone to to, to argue that for David Cameron when they don't necessarily agree with austerity although I, I would probably say in defense of, of Dylan that as I said at the beginning, there's so few prime ministers really that people can can choose that they might actually have a chance of really remembering and not be, just be getting it from the history books. Mm. That it makes David Cameron probably very very likely that he's going to be um, the the kind of favoured prime minister just because there was that kind of sense of stability at least for the first three four years of of his premiership. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I think it's it's always a very eerie thing um, when you see the, the prime minister after they've won the election, get in the car to go and see the Queen in Buckingham Palace. Um, and I, I can understand the, the worries around austerity and, and I but I, I am kind of pleased to see that, that a lot of people are realising that the, the reason why the Conservative government took the cuts and, and, and the steps that it did to ensure that we did get back on our feet. Um, and, and I think this this topic would be so interesting to if we if we asked people that were um, aged 50 and under to see what their stories would, would be um, coming out of this. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good point, George. Yeah, right. OK, so remember, we will be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. But it is now time for the first on break of this evening. So Callum and I will be back incredibly soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. Time to move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we are asking the question, should Internet access be considered a human right? So the right to Internet access is the view that all must, all people must be able to access the Internet in order to exercise and enjoy their rights to freedom of expression and opinion and other fundamental human rights. With a view to making that notion a reality, Labour have recently pledged to give every home and business in the UK free full fibre broadband by 2030. Labour Shadow Chancellor John McDonald said the move would ensure that broadband reaches the whole of the country. But sceptics have argued it is a costly and expensive mistake and could lead to state surveillance through the back door. George, do you think there is an argument to be made in support of Labour's policy here? <laughs> Internet access does underpin other human rights like freedom of expression in today's world, surely. Um, I, it would it would be 
peculiar of me to to stand on a soapbox and and announce that I support a Labour policy wholeheartedly. Um, I don't. I think to answer the question first off, internet access is an incredibly important thing, and and I think it it, it solves and helps a lot of people's lives in all different ways. Yeah. Would I potentially argue that it's a human right? I don't know. If it is a human right, I wouldn't argue that it's the most important human right in the world. Um, And I would say, yes, I I think it's more a luxury than a human right. There are many people in the world that don't have access to the Internet and they survive well. Um, And also, I would also say that I think the Labour's policy, not that this question is on that, but I, I want to highlight on it. The Labour's policy on giving of creating state owned broadband is just ludicrous, to be honest with you. I think in principle, it's a lovely idea, but in actual practical terms, we will be taking away from a lot of businesses that run um, Internet software and so on and so forth. And also, how can we guarantee that it, it, as you have rightly said, Callum, how can we guarantee that if it's state owned, they, they wouldn't be able to have a surveillance on us? And also, how does the mechanicism work around a state owned broadband system? You know, who do we call up? Do we call our local MP up to come and sort out our broadband <laughs> or something? I just I don't know. It's it, for me. I struggle to, to really support it. Um, but as a human right, as I said, I personally believe it's more a luxury to have rather than an important human right. But what what are your thoughts, Callum? I, I think it's uh, actually, yeah, it's really difficult, George, as you, as you say, because when I heard about Labour's new policy, I, I was incredibly sceptical about it. And I had huge reservations about the cost of this. And also, as you say, George, the the way in which the state might then have access to people's personal data and their internet browsing history and, and so forth. Um, and it feels very dystopian, um, that being made a reality. But then I do see the other side to this, which is, as I said in the introduction, that internet access is so fundamental now for people to be able to properly express themselves i.e enact their freedom of expression um i mean you you really can't truly uh be able to get your message out there in the same way as others if you do not have access to the internet Mm -hmm. so i can see that there is a conclusion to be drawn that internet access should be considered a kind of human right, or at least an extent, an extension of that fundamental right to freedom of expression. That doesn't necessarily mean that I draw the same conclusion as what the Labour Party have done, um, that it means that the state should be stepping in um, and providing this. And I, and I think there's a, a kind of a sense of proportionality here in that the majority of people in the UK do have access to the internet already. So therefore, why is it necessary to nationalise um, parts of British telecoms and, and open reach and so forth in order to make it a reality that everyone has access? Surely it, it makes far more sense for it to be a kind of benefit, as it were, and for government programmes to be put in place to extend Wi-Fi signal out to places that don't really have access to that. 
I mean, that just seems the far more logical conclusion to be drawn than the kind of state stepping in and yeah. doing this. So, I mean, George, do you think, though, that this this policy is a good thing for Labour's kind of voting prospects, their electoral prospects? Or do you think this has kind of gone down like a lead balloon? I think from what I've seen, um, I think it's more gone down like a lead balloon than anything. Um, I, I, I think, unfortunately, Labour have obviously come to this election where they are giving away stuff um, and they want to have policies that are they would propose are helping everyone. Um, and for me, I think the majority of people would look at this their policy and they would say that actually this is stepping that mark, going over that mark a little bit too far um, by trying to have everything state owned and under state ownership. Um, and it's it, it's quite scary in a way all this state ownership stuff it's kind of like a communism kind of theory of everything's being owned by the state and everything and and that does worry me and i think it worries a lot of people having the the access to the internet and everything is also a freedom as as you quite rightly say callum and and a freedom shouldn't be something that is con- controlled by the state a freedom is something that you should be as it says in the title free to do as you please on it as long as obviously you're not breaking the law um yeah and i i struggle to believe how that how you can have a be free on the internet when it is state owned um and, and i think unfortunately for labor um it, it hasn't gone as well as they possibly had hoped um but but i i think that we are now seeing a generation of people obviously that are um always going to just know the internet and always going to have that access to the internet and i think we are also coming to a time where we are also going to have nearly every single person on the internet um and and i think that that is a good thing to happen and i don't personally i don't believe that a state ownership of of the internet or broadband is going to potentially help that i think what you have just said callum is definitely the right way to go around it and to ensure that everyone does have have access to it do do you think that having um access to the internet should now be on the statute of human rights um it's very very difficult one i i think it's difficult to say that you could do that i i are you talking about the the un declaration on human rights or or uk law no the un declaration see i think from a un perspective it's really really difficult to make our reality when there's still um, countries around the world that aren't providing the, the most basic of those human rights and the most basic of that freedom of expression. Um, so I think it's really difficult to then add another thing, which is incredibly costly to happen. It requires a, a hell of a lot of infrastructure to put into place. I think it, it's it's incredibly difficult to do that. Maybe in in 50 years or 100 years, the the kind of way of the world will have changed and it, it might well be that then it should be added to the decoration but i don't think at this time it should be added I, i'm presuming you're in agreement george yeah no i i totally am because i i also struggle to believe how something like that can be policed um by the un and and certain countries i mean um my employer 
uh, is the chair on the European Council, which is a um, a constitution that that practically looks at all the the countries within the European uh, within Europe, sorry, um, and to see whether or not they're keeping up with human rights laws and and and. Ob- ob- abiding by those laws and they have to put the policies in place to make sure or the sanctions in place to make sure that the countries do keep to the human rights of just basic needs of human beings and i i I struggle to to see how we would at the moment penalize those countries that aren't allowing the, the people to have access to to broadband and and also if we are going down the route where we are having state owned internet access then what is to to stop people are we saying that it's a human right to have the whole access to the internet or are we just saying that people should be able to tap into the internet because if we look at somewhere like north korea for example they are allowed on the internet but the state chooses what they see on the internet yeah. so it's quite interesting on where do we draw the line on the human right is it simply the access just to be able to access the internet on a computer and but only have a limited view of what's actually on there or are we talking about access to be able to view everything yeah yeah i mean i presume it would be um it would kind of come under freedom from censorship laws and and, and things like that but i definitely take your point there george i mean how do you think this poll is going to go do you think people will think that internet access should be considered a human right oh um i'm gonna say it will be 70% yes and 30% no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think yes will um, will come out on top as well. I'll say 60%. Um, right then, time to move on to our second song break of this evening. But remember to vote on this poll. Should internet access be considered a human right? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk. Forward slash listen, and we'll be back very soon. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we are should internet access be considered a human right? And 74% of you have said yes, it should, compared to 26% of you that said no, it shouldn't. So George, you were pretty much bang on the money there. I take my hat off to you. There we go. I mean, I, I, as I said the other week, I should get a job in pro, poll predicting because I seem to be all right at it. Yeah, I think it'll be an unpaid job, but yeah, you go for it, mate. I thought you. I thought you said you'd pay me to do it. <laughs> I ain't got any money, George. Sorry. Ah, oh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> right. So let's move on to our third discussion of this evening, and we're asking the question: What is the most likely outcome, or the ge- what is the most likely general election outcome? There we go. Got the question right. Um, so apparently, not that I've heard, but apparently, there's going to be a general election on the twelfth of December. Callum, did you know that? No, uh, uh, this is complete news to me, George. I can't believe that. Here we go. Breaking news. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So we have now seen every major party's manifesto and their pledges for our country. At the start of this election, one would have thought it would have just purely been about Brexit. But if I'm honest, I think as time has gone on, it doesn't actually seem to be just about Brexit anymore. With multiple opinion polls coming out, nearly weekly now it is looking likely that we will either have a hung parliament again or possibly a conservative majority maybe just but out of the following options 
what do you think is the most likely outcome? So the options are a conservative majority, a conservative majority with a coalition, another party backing them up, a Labour majority, a Labour minority slash coalition, um, other party majority, other party minority slash coalition. And as always, before I throw it over to our gorgeous, lovely listeners, I've got to throw it over to our Scrooge Lib Dem supporter and voter, Mr. Gurr, who's probably going to say that the Lib Dems are going to win the election and then he'll put the phone down and it will just be me. Callum, what do you think? <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 for some reason... Just, just hunch. I don't think the Lib Dems are gonna gonna win this election. You know, um, I think the most likely outcome is a Conservative majority. Um, you, I mean, obviously polls in the past, in, in in all of the most recent ballots, really, other than maybe local elections and and European elections, have been wrong. But the polls do suggest. That even if, um, you know, within the margin of error, the uh, Conservatives will still get a majority. Um, and I just do not see how pretty much every pollster is saying that the Conservatives have at least a, really a 10 percent um, uh, larger share of the vote than what the Labour Party have got. I, I can't see that all of the pollsters can be wrong on that. Um, so, so I think on that basis, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly likely that there'll be a Conservative majority. And what that means, I think, for um, people that are supportive of the Labour Party or the Liberal Democrats or the Greens or, or the SNP or Clyde Cymru, is that they have to tactically vote if that is to be prevented. Um, and, and I think the extent to which there is a majority or whether or not the Conservatives in the end get a minority government or a coalition government does depend upon um, voters who are anti-Tory, as it were, the extent to which they hold their nose and vote for maybe a party or a candidate that, that isn't 100% in line with what they believe. And that's really going to be the big thing that I think determines this election. What do you think, George? Can I, I'm just, before I uh, answer the question, I just quickly want to answer you a question on the point you've yeah. just made. So given that if you're in an area that it was clear that the Lib Dems aren't going to win, but a Labour MP, sorry, a Labour candidate might have a, ch- a shot at getting in, would you then vote for a Labour candidate? Or it's a that is a really difficult one. I I did know you were going to ask it, uh, not because you told me or anything, but I just guessed you <laughs> would. Um, and I suppose the answer to that question would be, uh, firstly, maybe depends upon what their uh, Brexit stance is, but also it depends upon what their record is in terms of anti-Semitism, whether they've got. A, a history of actually speaking out against this, but it'd be—I'd find it incredibly, incredibly difficult uh, to vote for the Labour Party because of the allegations of anti-Semitism around there. But at the same time, I desperately do not want a Conservative majority as well. So it's, it's a really difficult one, and I don't think I'm alone in 
in having that really difficult decision to make, although I probably don't really because both of my seats are safe conservative. Well, let's not say that. Um, <laughs> I So I'll, I'll go back to answering the, the question that you asked me, Callum. As much as I would absolutely love to be able to sit there and say that we will get a conservative majority hands down, I, I struggle to, I don't want to, to say it just yet. I don't want it to be set in stone that I have said that we will get a conservative majority. If we look back over previous elections, I mean, even just the closest one, the 2017 general election, where it was a very similar story, where the conservatives were very far ahead, Labour were quite far behind, practically the same. As the time went on, as the weeks went on, Labour really, really caught up with the Tories um, in yeah. the opinion polls. And it was because of their domestic attitude and their dom- domestic policies that they caught kept bringing out and they were able to steer the election away from Brexit and simply put it on domestic ideas and, and how a Conservative government or a Labour government was going to affect your life every day. Um, and I And I... It does worry me because obviously Labour have decided to take this tactic again and they are doing uh, an okay job at making sure that they're not really talking about Brexit that much, even though they keep trying to be tripped up on it. They still steer it back to the domestic ideas and policies. And I won't truly say that we will have a Conservative majority probably until I see the poll results of the day before the actual election, because I worry that there are a lot of uh, people that are still not too sure where they're going to vote. I mean, I'm getting it at the moment when I go out canvassing for my local candidate, uh, my local Conservative candidate. It's, it's it's worrying because I'm getting the idea where actually some people are saying, I like the candidate themselves a lot, but I can't vote for Boris Johnson um, because we have found over quite a while since David Cameron, that the Conservative membership was quite a centralist membership. And as Boris Johnson has come in, he has taken the party or people would perceive him to be more right wing, meaning that the more centralist members of our party are struggling to vote for Boris Johnson. And it is a worrying sight. Um, it's, it's a worrying thing to, to go door knocking with. Um, and it, it's it is a potential and that potentially means that we could still see Labour make the gains in the polls and Callum I'm sure will highlight that at the moment the 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 gains that Labour are making are from the disadvantage of the Lib Dems yeah but still that could make an impact in what goes on here so I would probably say right now i think it's going to be a hung parliament i don't want that obviously i want a uh, conservative majority and obviously i want to ensure that um brexit is delivered and and all of that um but i want to i don't want to just be able to say that it's a conservative majority and, and practice and the job's done because unfortunately it really isn't we've still got to work incredibly hard to win a lot of people's votes yeah. but how how is your attitude though Callum as a as a liberal democrat coming into this election it was looking quite like that the Lib Dems were going to do pretty well they were going to gain quite a few seats especially from the conservatives in some remain areas um and gain some of the the labor seats uh, again especially in scotland um do you are you feeling as if 
your your wind sorry your sail has lost the wind or do you think that you are still trundling along it's just that that you're waiting for the next gust to happen um yeah yeah no i i think the wind has gone from the limb damp sails really um because when the cold hard reality of an election where your vote really really matters rather than polls when an election is miles and miles away um it it does very much always squeeze the lib dem vote and the lib dem vote share wasn't that high to begin with um and it is squeezing it as you say towards labor and that is worrying and it, i think it's also worrying for labor themselves in in a sense and that sounds peculiar to say but mm. does that mean that in the the majority of Lib Dem seats are, are normally Tory facing marginals, as it were. Does it mean that because the Labour vote is going up, that the Lib Dems end up losing those seats and handing them over to the Conservatives? So, so there's that worry there as well, I think, from it. Well, and Callum, what do you think option is going to come out on top from our lovely audience and listeners? A conservative majority. What do you think? Okay. I am... Uh... I'm going to say a conservative minorities forward slash coalition. Yes. Right. OK, so remember, the options are for this question. What is the most likely general election outcome? And the options for that are a conservative majority, a conservative minority slash coalition, a Labour majority, a Labour minority slash coalition, other party majority, other party minority slash coalition. And you can vote on that on wizardbrady.co.uk forward slash disson. And we'll be back before you even know it. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, what is the most likely general election outcome? And as always, you guys have been voting away. So the results have just come in and the results are as follows. A conservative majority got 17%. A conservative minority with a coalition got 31%. Labour majority got 15%. Labour minority with coalition got 23%. Other party majority got 2%. And other <laughs> party minority with coalition got 12%. Well, Callum, I'm on a roll. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you are. I, I, I want to know who, who's this other party. You know, who, who's gonna, who's, who's gonna get the, uh, yeah, get a, get a minority government uh, yeah. of another party, or even who, what other party did the two percent thing's gonna get a majority? I mean, I mean, it's, it's interesting. If, if, if you are one of the two percent, please do drop us an email because I would love to know. Um, yes, and, yeah. I, and I think, I must say, I think it's quite interesting that people think a Labour minority with coalition is higher than a Conservative majority. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I am truly shocked, really, by that poll result. And I think we could sit here and talk about that for the for the entire rest of, rest of the show, really. Um, but we must move on. So uh, we'll move on to uh, discussion four, uh, which is do you exercise weekly? So NHS guidance suggests that per week, every adult should get a minimum of 150 minutes exercise a week. This exercise should be intense enough to raise your heartbeat and make you sweat. Uh, 150 minutes of exercise in a week should really in reality warrant multiple stints of exercise in seven days. But for many people, this just does not happen. 
An increased concern about obesity, especially in children, has fueled fears that most people aren't getting anywhere near the minimum requirements of exercise in a week. George, uh, do you exercise weekly? And if you do, do you think you reach the 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise the NHS suggests as a minimum? I'm a little bit offended that you laughed as you asked that question to me. <laughs> it's just because it sounds so accusatory. Uh, yeah. yeah. What what is what is exercise? <laughs> I couldn't tell you, George. I really don't know. Okay. Well, <laughs> I well, I'm going to hold my hands up here right now, and I will say that I do not do enough exercise. Um, I have a job where the majority of the time I'm sat on my backside. Uh, at a desk and it is only now when a general election is on that I'm actually doing any exercise walking around the streets knocking on people's doors um and it, it yeah. is appalling and I, I'm not gonna lie I think it is absolutely appalling I really should make more of an effort to go and do some exercise because I'm sure I would feel better for it I'd feel healthier I'd feel as if I can breathe better um and I mean Callum and I when Callum was down here and both um him and I were between jobs I believe it was uh that we actually no, I think Callum was employed I don't know um we used to go to the gym quite a lot and and what's happened now is I pay still pay for a gym that oh, I don't do ever use and it's 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 getting to a case now where I am just spending money for them to to keep their gym open when I don't even use it which is quite a bit of a laugh but no I definitely definitely do not exercise enough and maybe my new year's policy this year or new year's resolution this year I should say will be to do a bit more exercise. Go and have a little run or have a little cycle somewhere. Callum, how is your running going? Do you do enough exercise? <laughs> um, no, I do not do enough exercise. Um, I've started to get a little bit back into the running. Um, I certainly, for the past few weeks, I've been going at least once a week. Um, but really, that's, you know, I, I don't do 150 minutes of that. Um, well, that would be a, a really long run, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and so I, I guess I, I I do probably, or at least recently, I do exercise weekly, but I, I don't get anywhere near these requirements. I mean, do you, do you think that they're realistic? Really, 150 minutes of of exercise when people, you know, if they've if they've got full time jobs uh, or or you know even if they're studying you know i mean you it can be quite intense uh studying uh, do, do you think it's a it's a a realistic goal george i think it can be if you want to do it then you can do it um yeah. and i think essentially as well exercise as much as it seems of this horrible task of getting all sweaty and hot and everything if you are always studying if you are always in an office working actually a bit of exercise going outside and running could actually give you that little bit more energy and make you feel better about what you're doing instead of being stuck inside all the time so i know it's very um high, sorry incredibly i can't think of the word is how bad is that but it's, it's bad of me to say for you to go and do exercise when I don't do it myself. Thank you, Callum. <laughs> I was just trying to work out what you meant. Um, in terms of the poll, just before we go to this one, do you think people will uh, exercise weekly, our listeners? 
Well, listeners, I expect you to be very honest with this. Uh, so I'm going to say that it's going to people are going to say that they do not exercise weekly, and I think no will be about eighty percent. Wow. See, I'm going to go complete other way. I'm going to say yes, it's going to be very high because I, I think probably the majority of our listeners are a bit younger than us, so therefore normally you you are like a member of a gym. Callum, you we're do not go to a gym. It's it's true, but we're. You know, once you uh, get into full-time work, you just, I don't know, maybe we I think we're just lazy, George, truthfully. (laughs) (laughs) Right, time to go on uh, to a final break of this evening, but don't forget to vote on this poll. Do you exercise weekly? Be truthful, as George says. Uh, You can do it at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen, and we'll be back very soon. Welcome back. So before the break, you asked the question, do you exercise weekly? Uh, and you guys have been voting away and I've had another complete mess. Uh, 32% of you said, yes, you do exercise weekly. Well, well done, you guys. Uh, and 68% of you said, no, you do not. So, George, I mean, I, I might as well give up now, might I? Yeah, I, I mean, to be fair, Adam, I think you say that saying every week now because I'm just, <laughs> I'm just becoming a professional at this. It's as if I'm fixing them, which I promise I'm not. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you're in conversation with James to to fix it. I see, I see how it is. It all comes out, don't it? It does, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. <laughs> right then, uh, we've reached time to end the season show. So thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cutting Dirt. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. As mentioned earlier, for this first segment of next week's show, we'd like to hear your opinions on the following question. Keeping to the general election theme, does the prospects of a of a Corbyn-led government worry you? And you can do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizardradio. And remember, that question is, does the prospect of a Corbyn-led government worry you? And we are really looking forward to hearing your opinions next week. But it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving. So, as always, I have been the incredibly lazy George Lawrence Cup. And I've been the terrible at guessing polls, Callum Gurr. <laughs> uh, thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week for another episode of To Be Discussed. Goodbye, guys. Ciao for now. <laughs>